you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to Episode 8 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. everyone. Thanks so much for taking time to tune into the podcast. Today, we've got a special episode for you where I'm going to be giving you an audio version of chapter two of my book, New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And the name of this chapter is Sepia Jesus. And what it's about is that I believe that every Christian comes to faith in Jesus with various traditions and preferences that filter his or her view of Jesus and his teachings. But Jesus, however, calls us to make him the lens by which we view everything else. And it gives a little bit of the story of my story and how I began to uh, learn to filter everything, everything, my worldview, the way I read scripture through the lens of Jesus and his teachings. So I want to encourage you to take time uh, to hear this chapter all the way through. And, and, and I want to encourage you to have an open mind about the way that you, too, read the simple words of Christ. Well, if you're blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, or you can email me at email philsbaker at gmail.com. And I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Falls' Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. So please check out our, uh, our podcasts, Omega Frequency and the Fourth Watch Radio Network. And uh, yeah, you can get a copy of my book, New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ on Amazon. And if you, if you have gotten a copy and you've read it, please, please, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take time to leave an honest review there on Amazon. That would help me out a lot. All right. Well, episode two does not actually have any anti-Nicene writings in it. So what I did in this episode is I put one quote from the early Christians at the very end. I'm going to give a little bit of an explanation as to how that quote uh, has relevance to the chapter. So that's a little bit of a bonus for you at the end of this episode. So make sure to stay tuned and listen to that as well. All right, let's get episode eight rolling. Well, during my freshman year of college, some of my church buddies orchestrated a pickup game of basketball at the church gym. But unbeknownst to anyone, at some point that night, a person dropped a melting piece of ice under my team's basket. And I stole a pass on the opposite side of the court and headed down to my goal for an easy, uncontested layup. Now, I decided to be slightly fancy and lay it up left-handed while slapping the backboard 
instead of just casually dropping the ball in with my right hand. I dribbled just to the left of the basket, planted with my right foot, and I tore my right anterior cruciate ligament, my right ACL. Well, the heart of man is prideful before a fall, and I crashed like Humpty Dumpty. Stupid ice cube. Now, if you've ever had a major ACL repair back in the late 90s, you know the rehab is excruciatingly painful, to say the least. It's much more painful than the actual injury. There were days I was convinced my physical therapist was the Antichrist, or at least a sadist. However, I look back at it now and I realize that if she had not forced me to develop full extension and full flexion, I would not be able to walk today. If she hadn't pushed me past the point my feelings told me was acceptable, I would have missed out on many things that I enjoy and take for granted today. Now, once those several physical therapy sessions were over, it was up to me to put her expert strategies into practice and build strength into the muscle surrounding my right knee, which had atrophied significantly over the few months I was on crutches. And unfortunately, I trusted my feelings more than the expert's advice. I thought that, you know, I could use basketball to strengthen my knee rather than the exercises recommended by the professional. And can you guess what happened? About a year and a half after I tore my right ACL, I tore the meniscus in the same knee while playing basketball in the same gym. Have you ever heard about people getting their ankles broken on a crossover? Well, the youth minister of my church, Mike Satterfield, he crossed me over and he basically broke my knee. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of humorous, actually. You know, one moment, Mike was dribbling the ball and I was guarding him and talking trash to him. You know, something about taking the ball and his lunch money. And the next moment, he shook me right out of the gym and into the hospital. So let that be a lesson to all of you out there. Don't ever talk trash to Mike Satterfield. You might embarrass and cripple yourself. Well, one of the main reasons I hurt my knee a second time in conjunction with the root issue of pride was that I had been filtering my physical therapist's counsel through the lens of my feelings and experiences. Her method of strengthening my knee was incredibly painful and not very exciting. Up until the ACL tear, I had built up quite strong legs, basically through playing basketball alone. And though it's not that big of a deal, as a 5'9", 18-year-old kid, I could jump up and grab a 10-foot rim with no problem. Therefore, I reasoned that because basketball originally helped my legs become strong and was far more enjoyable than the prescribed rehab, 
following my heart and using basketball as rehab was a better course of action than listening to the physical therapist. So here's some questions to think about. What lens are you filtering Jesus and his teachings through? Is your understanding of Jesus and his teachings being passed through the lens of your experiences and feelings? The lens of your pastor's understanding of Jesus? Or the lens of St. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, or the Pope? Like photographs with a brown filter, do you have a sepia Jesus? Or are you starting with Jesus and his teachings and then letting those filter your understanding of your feelings and your experiences, your pastor's teachings, and the views of Jesus articulated by men such as St. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and the Pope. In Luke 6.40, Jesus says, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. In John 13, 16, he states, No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So if Jesus is Lord and God, he is also the greatest teacher ever. If Jesus is a Lord and God, he is also the master of all truth. Jesus isn't just the greatest teacher of truth and the master of all truth. For he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we, we can understand many truths and we can communicate many truths, but none of us can say with full integrity that we are the truth. And these truths mean that I am not greater than Jesus and neither are you. St. Augustine was not greater than Jesus, and neither is Tim Keller. The Apostle Paul was not greater than Jesus, and neither is John Piper. You know, Martin Luther made many wonderful contributions to Christendom. His 95 theses helped reform Roman Catholicism. And he was the first to translate the Latin Bible into the German language. However, his translation was similar to many modern study Bibles in that it came with introductions to each testament and each book. Introductions in study Bibles are quite interesting because they often reveal the editor or commentator's slant or bias toward the text. Basically, they reveal his or her filter. And before readers of the newly translated German Bible would even get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, they would see these words from Luther. John's gospel, this is a quote, John's gospel is the one tender, true chief gospel, far, far to be preferred to the other three, and placed high above them. So too, the epistles of St. Paul and St. Peter far surpass the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In a word, St. John's gospel 
and his first epistle, St. Paul's epistle, especially Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians, and St. Peter's first epistle are the books that show you Christ and teach you all that is necessary and good for you to know, end quote. That is called sepia Jesus. There were many good things that came about from the Protestant Reformation, but many sad and dangerous things as well. According to Luther, you don't actually need the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, or Luke to know who Jesus Christ is and what he requires. According to Luther, you don't actually need the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, to understand the ethics that drive a life devoted to Jesus. And unfortunately, that method of filtering Jesus and his teaching allowed Luther to feel at peace when ordering roughly 100,000 German peasants to be slaughtered by the nobility class of his day. He wrote, quote, I, Martin Luther, slew all the peasants in the rebellion, for I said that they should be slain. All their blood is on my head, but I cast it upon the Lord God who commanded me to speak in this way. End quote. Really? The Lord God commanded him to speak in that way? Jesus said, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You know, you might have heard something like that in elementary school. It's known as the golden rule. I have a hard time believing that Luther treated the German peasants the way he would have wanted to be treated by the Catholic Church, which persecuted him. Yet, he clearly felt that the Lord sanctioned those heinous actions. So what's going on there? Well, what transpired with Luther is what goes on in all of us. I believe everyone that becomes a Christian enters that relationship with at least a few old wineskins. Like the Hebrews who were miraculously delivered out of slavery in Egypt, but within a few weeks of wandering in the wilderness were longing for the chains of Pharaoh once more. It is a much longer process to take Egypt out of us than to take us out of Egypt. Again, similar to the Hebrews in the desert, even after being redeemed, we seem bent toward creating a Jesus that suits us, that is comfortable for us, that is okay with our vices, and so on. We tend to try to make a God in our image. We all come to the Bible with a filter. Actually, we come with many filters. And if you're like me, 
as a child, you started learning about Jesus through the lens of your parents, your Sunday school teachers, and pastors. And even my pastors were learning about Jesus through the filters of the commentaries on the Bible that they read and the required reading in their seminary work and the interpretation of Jesus and his teachings held by their seminary professors. And the seminary professors were learning about Jesus through the filters of other professors and theologians with certain denominational and hermeneutical slants and leanings. So, are we then left saying that everything is relative? Well, of course not. Am I now going to declare that I'm the only one with the corner on the truth? Not at all. Look, I believe the original writings of the 66 books of the Bible are completely inspired by God. And as such, I also believe that when Jesus said in John 13, 16, no servant is greater than his master, that he calls us to imitate his life of humility in all that we do, even in the way that we interpret scripture. Jesus is our master. So who are we to say that Jesus did not actually mean that we are to treat others the way we want to be treated? Who are we? to say that Jesus didn't actually mean unless we forgive others their sins, our heavenly father won't forgive us of our sins. Who are we to say Jesus didn't actually mean we are to love our enemies? Who are we to say Jesus didn't actually mean that not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of his Father who is in heaven. These are such difficult teachings that when we read them, somewhere inside us, a little evil voice says, Did Jesus really mean that, though? Surely not. Think how much safer and fuller life would be if we disregarded those words. And that sounds a little bit like Genesis 3.1, don't you think? It sounds a little bit like a serpent of old. So much heartache and destruction came into the world as a result of Adam and Eve not taking the Lord God at his word. And when Jesus began to challenge me to take his teaching at face value and to filter everything else through them, a great crisis ensued in my heart. I was the worship leader and a small group leader of a Southern Baptist church in Texas at the time. And Jesus simply asked me, if your traditions and doctrines don't line up with my life and teaching, which of those should be put out to pasture? New wine must be poured into new wineskins. As Jesus said those words, I realized that if I began to teach that he meant exactly what he said, it might cost me my job in ministry. And losing my ministerial job 
would seriously affect my family's income and living situation, and I might be forced to get a quote-unquote real job or two. I might encounter a lot of persecution from my current church members, friends, family, and peers. Folks might label me as a heretic. Yeah, and so I had to ask myself if knowing, teaching, and living the truth is worth it. Is Jesus worth it? You know, it's, it's easy to say yes, but when the things I just listed are actually possibilities, and they were, we find out if he actually is worth it to us. Well, Blaise Pascal once wrote, Truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. Now, I realize that what I'm asking you to do can be scary and difficult. Paradigm shifts usually are. Therefore, in the next chapter, I'd like to begin to make what I believe is a historically valid case for us to take Jesus and his teaching at face value so that he truly becomes the lens by which we filter everything else. May you seek the truth, love the truth, know the truth, speak the truth, live the truth, continue in the truth, and then be freed by the truth. Well, that's the end of chapter two, but I didn't want to leave you without giving you a quote from the earliest Christian writers. And so this is, uh, this is a quote from Cyprian around the year 250, and he's building on Jesus's statement in Luke chapter six, verse 40, when Jesus said, no disciple is above his teacher, but every disciple that's fully trained will be like his teacher. And this is what he has to say around 250 in volume 5, page 619 of the CD-ROM version of the Antinicene Fathers. He says this, How grave is the case of a Christian man if he, a servant, is unwilling to suffer when his master first suffered. If we suffer from the world's hatred, Christ first endured the world's hatred. If we suffer reproaches in this world, if exile, if tortures, the maker and Lord of the world experienced harder things than these. And he also warns us saying, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord, but if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So whatever our Lord and God taught, he also did, that the disciple might not be excused if he learns and does not. 
That's such a powerful, powerful statement there. I want to read you that last little line again. He says, whatever our Lord and God taught, he also did so that the disciple might not be excused if he learns and does not. It's so powerful from Cyprian because he's saying Jesus always practiced what he taught. Well, he practiced what he preached, but the reason why he practiced what he preached was to show us that we are also to practice what he preached. We're to become like him. That's the whole goal of a disciple is to become like his rabbi. That's the whole purpose that we are on earth. As 1 Peter 2 says, Christ has given us an example for us to follow in his steps. No servant is greater than his Lord. No student is greater than his teacher. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take Jesus at his word. To take him at his word. And just like John 14 said, When Jesus says that whoever believes in me will do the same works that I do. If Jesus loved his enemies, so can you. If Jesus forgave people that were persecuting him, so can you. If Jesus lived it by the power of the Holy Spirit working within you, so can you. God bless you this week. One wants love, we can't get enough But what's the rush of true love waits? Would sell our souls to find A pair of dreamy eyes That one day won't look the same Our foundations will be tested Are they rock or are they sand? When storms blow on our investments Will they fall or will they stand? Lord, I realize I should change my mind About the patience you provide Cause when I'm filled with pain I wanna run away And lose it all to gain today I'll wait for you I'll wait for you Everyone will say No one knows my pain To justify a million things In their search to find That elusive high They grow numb to everything Our foundations will be tested Are they rock or are they sand? When storms blow on our investments Will they fall or will they stand? Lord, I realize I should change my mind About the patience you provide 
when I'm filled with pain I wanna run away And lose it all to gain today So I will wait for you I go out on my own instead of being still with you. How many times, oh Lord, how many times must I go out on my own instead of being still, instead of being still with you? Lord, I realize I should change my mind. About the patience you provide It's when I'm filled with pain I want to run away And lose it all to gain today Oh, Lord, I realize I should change my mind About the patience you provide Filled with pain I want to run away And lose it all to gain today So I'll wait for you I'll wait